Hey, welcome back to another episode of Valley's official podcast. I'm Andrew, and today with me is Mike. How are you doing, Mike? You know, I'm doing really good today. It yep. is a yeah. beautiful, sunny fall day outside. I'm looking out your brand new window in your office. I do have a brand new window. That's why it smells like glue in here. <laughs> yeah. So it is a beautiful day out. You know, last week we had that cold snap and everything was getting really frosty. And mm-hmm. it was so cold that I, I've got a little bonsai tree in my in my room. And that, that sucker is... 80% dead. <laughs> like I just, it just dawned on me today that oh, I should no. turn on the like, a space heater or something just to keep oh, that thing no. warm. So I, I'm learning that that's part of my thirties is that I, I have houseplants now. There is, you go. is that something you found for, for being in your thirties? You know, we have, uh, we have like one. Okay. And it was given to us years ago by my brother and it's a, uh, bamboo plant, which means it's very hard to kill. Oh, this is why we have one. Okay. But I don't know if it's going to last much longer because our cat prefers to drink out of that <laughs> rather than its own dish. Okay. And, uh, just informed me it's been eating the roots from that. And so I, I don't know. I don't think that plant's going to last or maybe, maybe the cat's not going to last. I don't know, but maybe uh, not. So if you need to get rid of that, you know what? Never mind. I was going to make a joke about cats and Asian people, but I won't do that for anyone who listening, who doesn't know me, I am Asian. So (laughs) I don't understand the joke. Yeah. uh, yeah, We're just going to, we're going to move on. Can you explain that to me? Andrew? We're we're going to just move on. We're going to move on. I'm lost here. (laughs) So Mike, you just finished a series. Uh, it's an, it was a pretty good series. It's actually, can I say it's been a defining series for you us? Can. As yeah, a yeah, yeah, absolutely. That works on multiple levels. That was the purpose of it, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Mike, you, you've reached the end of this series. And I guess for the listener who maybe uh, has been in and out of church lately, what, what was the series about? And yeah. why, why were we doing this series? Because it was a very in-house series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the series, we called it The Gospel Made Visible, which... Um, Really, it, the the series was about the church. It was about understanding what the church is, biblically speaking. And when you say the church, you mean like the biblical, like the overall church, or do you mean our local church? Yeah, we actually handled both. Okay. We started okay. our very first message in the series, talked about that tension between the universal church and That's the local true. church. Yeah. But then the rest of it was really fleshing out what what is it that characterizes a local church based on the scripture? How do we how do we understand membership? How do we understand having theology and sound doctrine? How do we understand leadership? And then where are we going as a church in our, in our mission and our vision? How are we equipping people and helping people? And so really it was, you say defining, we were really drawing the lines around here is what we do as a church, as we understand the scripture, as we're trying to be faithful to the word of God. Um, and, and the reason, the reason we did this is being here a year and a half now and knowing folks and, and building some momentum as a church and kind of just sensing it, it was time for us to make sure that we're being very transparent about everything about who we are so that we honestly can move forward, forward in good faith with our, our whole church, knowing we're on the same page, knowing there's going to be no surprises, knowing that our doctrine's been clear, our leadership structure is clear. So now we can really, like the scripture says, with the same heart and mind and purpose, move forward. You know, as someone who is uh, competitive, I guess, I appreciate definitions and terms. I, I, I'm, I'm very purpose driven and I want to know that what I'm a part of or what I'm aiming towards, there are some cl- clear steps and there, there's a clear vision of what we're trying to achieve. And so when we can kind of c- do away with ambiguity, that drawing lines can be uh, offensive to some, but honestly, I think in a lot of ways it's empowering and it's freeing. Mm -hmm. So I, I really appreciate, especially like we know that in church transitions that people uh, sometimes a a new chapter does start. And I could say that is true for Valley right now. A new chapter, a new day has started. And it's not that we've done away with old things. We've kind of re-upped what we're about. And now as a whole, as, as we truly begin to build and impact the city, we have now defined what it means for us to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to make us in the long run stronger and more united and more communal in that. Absolutely. Yeah. And in the series, you know, we talked about the gospel made visible. So the, the local church should be a visible expression of Jesus, his death and resurrection, his sacrificial love. And so that's, that's how we're going to move forward now. And this, the series ended with talking about the, the big picture is all of this is meant to point to God's glory. And, uh, man, I, just really, it was a, a wonderful weekend talking about how as individuals and then as a church, 
it's not about us. It's not about our preferences, our, our, our comfort. It's, it's actually all about pointing to the glory of God. Yeah. And you and I actually talked about that yesterday, talking about, man, we should just do a series straight on the glory of God and I his was, character. I was just about to ask you that. Cause I think, cause with the series end message, you talked about the glory of God. And I thought to myself, man, how awesome would it be if we took the moment, took it, took the time to really define God's glory and how amazing that is. That's, that should be the motivation, right? Absolutely. So if that's going to be the motivation, we need to really wrap our minds around it as best as we can and go a little bit deeper in our, in our understanding and let that, the weight of that glory like sink into our hearts. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, our lives should glorify God. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, there's blessing behind that when we, when we start to truly seek that. that that's how lives are tra- transformed. Last night for our family devotions, we were reading from Revelation 1. We're in Revelation for part of this month as a church, which is yeah. can be intimidating. Mm-hmm. But, um, but Revelation 1 is really this picture of Jesus and, and how incredible he is, right? He's got, you know, he's, he's got this golden sash and this white hair and his eyes are flaming and bronze feet and the sword, which is the word of God, his, his word coming out of his mouth. Right. And, and John's response to that, I know we're kind of totally off track now, but John's response to that is he just falls on his face. It says like he's dead, like just being awestruck by the glory of Jesus Christ. Right. And what would happen if we lived our lives that way, recognizing that God is glorious, that Jesus is ruling and he is mighty, that his spirit dwells in us. We, we lived our life with this daily recognition of God's glory. I think, I think our lives would be completely transformed. And that's something that we should be praying for, for people within our church and for ourselves is that we would recognize God's glory. Because even what you said in revelations with John, I, I instantly thought about Paul on the road to Damascus mm-hmm. when the glory of Christ just shone around him and he, he was converted. I also think of the calling of Isaiah, mm-hmm. right? When the God's glory just shows up and he yep. is like, oh man, I'm in trouble. Yep. And then, but from that moment he becomes a, a herald for, for the Lord. And that's, man, I, I just feel like every time in even in my own life, like when God just reveals a little bit more of that glory, I just can't help but just be that much more devoted. And cause I'm just, brought that much more closer to him. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, that's a prayer that I pray. That's a prayer that I pray for, for like my brother, my family, for our church, that God, people would just encounter God yep. and recognize his glory. So yeah, moving forward, I guess I, I would love to see a series on, on the glory of God. So, I mean, get on it, Mike. Come on. <laughs> you're, you're our preacher. There we go. <laughs> so with that said, I guess we're, we're, do you have kind of a, a small tidbit of where we're going to go from here after, after this series for our listeners who may be wondering what is the next series? I know Christmas is around the corner. Yeah. So it's uh we're kind of in a, a fun spot right now. This weekend we have a guest speaker. Yeah. He, he's speaking on stewardship and it's in line with, we're having our annual church family gathering where we're going to talk about our budget and just thinking through those things of what does it look like to be faithful stewards, not just financially, but with everything God's given us in our lives. And then we're going to do a two week kind of like mini series, I guess, which is kind of some feedback we had from last year, but we like late November, early December, we talked about how to prepare for Christmas and everyone was like, I've already prepared. Right. And so we're going to do a a little series. We're going to call it here come the holidays. Yeah. And we're going to talk about how to prepare your soul and then how to prepare your, your finances, your pockets (laughs) for, for the holidays. And then, um, and then, then there's another guest speaker, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of both you and I, a guy named Chad. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. He and yeah. I are going to trade pulpits for the weekend, and so I'm going to go speak at his church, and he's going to speak up here. Okay. And because um, convention's coming up. Yeah. And oh so, yeah. Okay. So we're doing that the week after convention, so that we can not have to be like burdened by like I got to have a brand new sermon yeah. that weekend. That and makes so, sense. Uh, That's strategic. I like that. I also it, like that we're networking with other pastors. That's the and thing is that. it's really fun to, to know that we're, we're part of a, a larger group of churches that yeah. have the same heart and want to reach our communities and love the Lord and love the word. And so that's going to be really fun. And then after that, we're going to do a Christmas series. And, uh, I just titled it today, um, up close and personal. Okay. 
And so it's how we respond mm-hmm. to the transcendent God when he comes to be imminent. Yeah. And those are big words, but basically saying God is big. He's huge. He is, he is eternal. He is, he's overwhelmingly incredible. Yeah. And yet in the Jesus's incarnation, we, he comes and he dwells among us. We see all these different people in their different responses. So you have Mary's response, you have Joseph's response, you have the the wise men and their response, you have the shepherd's response, you have um, Simeon and the prophetess Anna and their response, and you also have Herod's response. And so we're going to look at each of those different characters and how they respond to Jesus up close and personal. And so hopefully we'll learn as a church, like, how are we responding to the, the incarnation, God with us, the spirit of God dwelling in us? And so, um, as you can tell, I'm, I'm already kind of excited and kind you're, of ready. You're in the preacher mode, man. I'm yeah. excited. That'll be good. So kind of off topic, but you just gave me an idea and I, I want to share it with you on air, you know, cause this is, people like to know how this Okay, So mark the timing of this in case yeah. we have to cut this. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it would be kind of cool <laughs> if we made a video to introduce Chad to the congregation prior okay. to him coming, just so they yeah, can yeah, kind yeah. of get a heads up. What if I hot wing interviewed <laughs> him just like I did you? <laughs> My name is Mike Freeman, and I approve this message. All right. So just as last week, uh, my brother and our friend Dave, they went and bought. Uh, so I, I, did I tell you that I modeled our interview based off of a YouTube series called yes, Hot yes, Ones? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So they just released three new hot sauces that are like four or five times hotter than what we did. My brother and Dave already bought those hot sauces. They're on their way here next week. Dude, poor Chad. Yeah. So... He's got food allergies or something. Just do it like now. So he, if he dies, we can plan ahead okay. and, and figure it. So it'll, it'll be exciting to, to do something like that with him. So I want to, I'm going to figure this out. Maybe we can do it. Maybe we can meet at the convention. There you go. At the, at the Northwest Baptist convention and just film it there. Oh, uh, okay. I'm excited for that. I'm going to write I see that your, down. Uh, I see the gears turning. Yeah. We're going to do that. Anyway, um, you are kind of, you kind of alluded or you mentioned the annual meeting that we're having as a church, it's mm-hmm. coming up. Yep. You kind of want to tell us about what that is. I think by the time this hits people's uh, ears, it'll be after the meeting. Oh, will it? Yeah, because this will be out Monday, the Monday the after. Monday afterwards. Okay, so, so that night, so uh, so last night, what we did was yeah. uh, it was amazing. Yeah, you know, hopefully we're going to affirm four new leaders, three deacons, and and one new elder, and um, and then in that we're going to. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about church budget and that, those things. The, the part I'm excited about is we're, we're, we'll share communion together. And, uh, you know, so all of our campus gathering, gathering together, uh, you, we do at different campuses, mm-hmm. but everyone together as, as one church family, right. Remembering Jesus's death and resurrection, b- being unified around that, that, that I'm just already ready for that moment. That's going to be wonderful. Um, I, I imagine we might do some open mic, just like, Hey, what are you thankful for? How have you seen God work in the last year? Kind of stuff. We'll see, you know, and, um, and then there's going to be pie. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited about this. Uh, in the past I wasn't because we do annual meetings annually. And in the past we did them around January. And to me, they're, I grew up in a church where every time we had a business meeting, which was once every other month, it was just a slugfest. Yeah. I came to Valley. That wasn't really the case, but they were also not very well attended. We just went over budget and maybe like 10 people were there. Mm -hmm. Last year though, last year to me was a mile marker, I guess, in our growth and development as a church and where we were going. Cause last year, because of the transition in our leadership and with you coming, we saw people coming together, celebrating what God was doing and knowing that God was still faithful, even in the midst of leadership change. Mm -hmm. And I'm very excited now because now as we come together again, a year later, we have testimony to what God has been doing in our body for the last year. Yeah. I know for me in in the, from my vantage point, having my hands in so many different ministries, man, God is so faithful. And I'm excited to share that with the rest of our church when we get there uh, next week, our time yesterday, whoever's listening yeah. Monday next week. <laughs> so. I, I think part of it is just, it, it's demonstrating that this is Jesus's church. Yeah, for sure. Right? This is, this is his church. Um, pastors, you know, God uses them and God brings them and, and they're, they're important shepherds and elders, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, 
God's just faithful. Jesus does what he wants with his church. He builds his church. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of just try to keep up with them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So on my list also, we wanted to talk about the new church website. I guess we haven't really officially announced it. It just kind of showed up one day. I wasn't even done with it. I was like 95% done. And then because something happened with uh, our previous site, like it went down because of some security issues. It actually had nothing to do with our the people that were maintaining our site. It had everything to do with Google and their updates on oh, Chrome. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what it was. But it was down for a second and I just pulled the trigger and... Yeah launched our new site because you'd been working on it for yeah. a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Really putting a lot of hours into it. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm very excited about it. We've actually seen some really cool things. Uh, I just want people to know that when you get on there and there's a chat bubble, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> that's me at the moment. <laughs> so I mean, there's, there's an auto response. Like as soon as you get there, it pops up and goes, hello. Hey, let us know if you have any, any questions or whatever. But the moment you respond to that, that's me on the other end. If I'm yeah. by my phone or my laptop, so I actually have my my watch now set to it. So in the event someone does get on the website and just starts talking, I know to just jump on immediately, just to answer questions. And that's been really good for guests. I've already Has had it? some conversations with guests and people that's asking awesome. about services and stuff. I love it because when I go to the website to look something up, if you know, I, I, I notice a change that I'd like to see made, I could just, I don't even text you. I just jump on there. And I'm like, hey, Andrew. Yeah. Do this. <laughs> yeah. And you don't always identify yourself. So no, I'm always I like, who, who am I talking to right now? So, but uh, actually I do like it cause I feel like there's a, it's cleaner. We have more events there that, that make sense where it's at. People are getting connected. It looks awesome. Yeah. I, I'm excited about, and I guess this is for you. If you go to our church, this is for you to help your friends who want to come. There is a tab on there that says plan a visit. Mm-hmm. So if you have a friend that you've been inviting the church and you, that's, that's a tool for you to use. Hey, let, let them know they can click on that. It lets them know all the information they need of, of what it means to attend Valley, where we, where we, you know, meet and what we do when we're there. But it also lets them connect with us as a, as a pastoral team to say, Hey, we'll personally meet you. So we'll know to expect you. We'll that's know how cool. to just be ready because we do have first time visitor gifts and all these things. Yep. So that's, that's, that's an opportunity for us as a pastoral staff to partner with every member of our church to help invite people to come experience Jesus. That's perfect. So that's, that's one feature I'm super excited about. That's perfect. I dig it. Yeah. Also this podcast is on there now too. Yeah. So I'm hoping that people who, you know, they don't know how to use like, uh, an RSS feed for anything else. That's fine. You can go to the website and every time there's a new episode, which we try to drop this every Monday, someday we'll be hundred percent consistent but not at this moment, but you can go there mm-hmm. and it's uh, on the, the menu bar. There's a media button and underneath it, there's a podcast button. You click on that and there's, there's every single one of our episodes right now on yeah. there. Awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah, good things are happening in that, in that capacity. And if you're looking at it and you're like, man, there's no pictures of the church because eventually we want to get pictures of the church. So there are pictures of literal valleys yeah. everywhere. So, you know, it's symbolic. There you go. So, yeah. So if you're great at photography, let us know. Oh, for sure. For sure. Let us, let us know. All right, Mike. So today we have a topic, uh, we want to talk about, so we're going to continue our discussion on the nine marks of a healthy church written by Mark Deaver. No S. There you go. So this week we are touching on church discipline. Mm. Now this can be a defeating topic for some people, I guess, but it could, I don't know. As of late, I've, can, I've been finding that it's more encouraging the more I, I read it and I see it in place and stuff. Um, do you want to introduce us to the concept of church discipline okay, what yeah. we're, we're referring to? <clears throat> and, and I think we've done this a few weeks now um, when we've just kind of started from Mark 1 and just... Just a I, review. I, I think yeah. you have to understand it in the context of, of where we are in the process, right? Right. Yeah. Because Mark one is saying, if the church is going to be healthy, they have to have expository preaching that the text drives the message. The word of God is what drives the church and moves everything forward. Um, that's gotta be like the core of a healthy church. And then from that, they, they talk about biblical theology. And so it's not like finding your hobby horse and only preaching the texts that you like right. or the books you like, but, but trying to look at theology in the, the entire context of scripture. And this takes time, obviously. I mean, we mm-hmm. can't preach the whole Bible today, but like in time, making sure that we are looking at all of the scripture to, to lead us, to be our authority, to govern us, to guide us. Right. And so from expository preaching to biblical theology, then you land on, that means we have to understand the gospel. 
right? That's where biblical theology leads us to say, mm-hmm. hey, our problem is that God is righteous and we are not that we need righteousness. And the only right. way to have that righteousness is not through self-righteousness, but the obedience of Jesus given to us. And then his, his, our sin paid for by him and his death and resurrection. And so just saying, if we're going to be healthy, everything's got to be about the gospel. And we talked about that this last week and really explicitly. And so then we said, okay, that means you have to understand conversion. What does it really mean to believe, to come to faith, uh, to have a, a true faith in Christ that, so you're saved, um, which again, you see these, these all building. So right, the next right. piece on that, okay, well then we have to evangelize. We have to call people to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. That's Mark five is, is a healthy understanding of evangelism. Uh, okay. So people are coming to faith. We are becoming a church. We're gathered together. That's Mark six is uh, church membership, which is what we just preached on. Right. That was the, the last conversation we had about this. And then all that lands to, um, to today's conversation, which, uh, you know, in the book, he calls it church discipline. Um, you asked me to define what that is. I, I actually prefer the term church correction okay, or even church restoration. Yeah. I was going to say the term we've been using lately is restoration. And yeah. I, I like that a lot more. Yeah. Because it, it really reminds us what is the aim? What is the goal? What is the purpose when we deal with sin in the church? Because sin happens in the church. Right. We, right. We, I mean, I failed yesterday. I fa- I'll fail today. Mm-hmm. You, you, we fail every day. And so part of this is, okay, how do I discipline myself in repentance and in faith and in confession? How do I have people in my life that I, I'm transparent before? But then when someone does sin, what is the church's response? Right. And so I think we start with, usually we, people start with Matthew 18, but I think mm-hmm. we start with Galatians 6 okay. verse 1. Um, cause that says brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass, transgression, sin says you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Each, uh, excuse me, I lost my spot. Spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And this just says, okay, when sin happens and it does. Yeah. Yeah. Restore someone. Your aim is to restore them with a spirit, not of, well, I'm going to discipline them. I'm going to take them out back. I'm going to take them to the woodshed. Not, I'm going to embarrass them. I'm going to try to shame them publicly, but with gentleness to restore them. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about this, we say that that means that we, we have to recognize that sin is sin. You know, you, you can't sweep it under the rug. You can't ignore it. You, you can't just have this license kind of mentality like, oh, you believe in Jesus, you can live however you want. No, we're, we're called the holiness. Scripture says, be holy as God is holy. So we're progressively growing in this. So that conviction that sin is sin, but when we approach someone, it's not to be, you know, top down domineering. It's not to bully or arm wrestle someone. Right. It, it is, there is warning. There, there is a sternness about it. But, but it's really this overarching tone of gentleness, wanting to restore them, wanting not to, you know, shame them or humiliate them, but, but to see them walk rightly with the Lord. And that's why I like the term restoration more because it sets the person who is a part of the process. It, it challenges the heart to, to remind them that this is not about you coming down heavy on someone. I've been a part of groups of people when we use a church the, the, the term church discipline, people get excited because they're like, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to correct someone and we're going to, you know, they want to play the religious game and be all high and mighty and, and just correct. But that's not the spirit of gentleness. That, that's the warning sign, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, Galatians six, it says you who are spiritual. Yes. And, and that's kind of a nod to the, the spiritually mature to the leaders. Mm-hmm. Like, and and I think we all have a role to play in each other's lives in terms of correction. Right. And so I might be more mature than someone, but if they see sin in my life, like mm-hmm. they should come to me and say, Hey Mike, you know, you're, you, you need to think through this or what you're doing is wrong. Like that's okay. Right. There's not this hierarchy that says you only approach me if you're above me. Right. No, we're all brothers and sisters, but typically the way restoration works best is if someone who's mature because they've experienced the kindness of the Lord, because they've experienced his grace, they've grown in it. Then with that gentleness, they approach someone and say, let me put my arm around you. 
let, let me help you walk through this. Let me help you fight your sin. Right. Let me help you kill the sin. Right. And, and let's move forward. You know, and that, that reminds me of the idea that righteousness is important and we rest on the righteousness of Christ because none of us are, are righteous and none of our own merit is ever going to be good enough. But just as important as righteousness is compassion. I, I think about Jesus when he looked amongst the crowd, he said, it, it, it says that he had compassion. And so when we look at the people who sin with our own church, I hope it breaks our heart to find our brothers in sin because they're hurting themselves and hurting Absolutely. the people that they love and care about. Yeah. Cause, Cause at the end of the day, if, if someone's in sin, if they're wayward, if they're pursuing the flesh and the things of this world, is is it really loving for me to say, oh, God bless you, man, go do your thing. Is that really love? No. Real love is to say to your brother or sister, looking at him in the eyes, like, please turn from that. That's going to hurt you, right? John Owen, his, his famous statement is, be killing sin or sin will be killing you, right? That's and good. so when we see someone in sin, we see someone who's being crushed, and being poisoned and being tortured, whether they realize it or not. Like, and real love says, no, let me come along. No, oh, no, 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 turn, turn. It, it's, it's like a father. It's like a father and his children. The, the father that is unengaged and unwilling to correct their child, unwilling to guide their child and draw boundaries for their child. That is actually the father that does not love their child. That's the father that is selfish instead of selfless because yeah. it, it's not fun to discipline your child. It's not fun to correct your child. It, it creates tension and it's hard. It is hard work, but, but it demonstrates love. Hebrews chapter 12 says, uh, you know, you've not resisted to the point of shedding blood verse four, and you're striving against sin. Um, and have you forgotten the exhortation, which is addressed to you as my sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, no faint nor faint when you are reproved by him for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, right? Correct. And is it later it says, you know, discipline is not fun when you're going through it. It's painful, but it, it, it yields a fruit of righteousness, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's what we, that's what we're aiming at yeah. when we're entering into someone's life to help them deal with their sin. And here's a thought. So what do you think of this? I've been thinking about it all morning because I knew we were going to be talking about church restoration, church discipline. It is important for a church to engage in this because it's it's telling of the character of leadership as well. If a church is not willing to go through this, the steps of restoring someone, of disciplining or restoring someone, doesn't it kind of show that, number one, it's highly, actually it is, the, the, that the leadership doesn't value the, the authority of the word of God. Bingo. Number, number two, the integrity for them to care for for any congregant is kind of compromised because it says that they, they can't lead fear, fearlessly and in 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 the right standing with the Lord, but they are they cower to fear because it is it's it's an uncomfortable situation. I I've been a part of a couple of leadership teams that have gone through it, and it's never been fun. It's it's excruciating, honestly, to go through it, but it has to be done. Mm-hmm. And every time that it's not done, it tells like. Well, you don't, I don't, you don't want to be a part of a church that just sweeps it under the rug because that's just more corruption at that point. Yeah. And so if you are a part of a church that's, that's never gone through that, isn't that kind of telling of, of the possibility? I mean, I, I, maybe it's possible for a church to never have to do that. And I guess what I'm referring to is even like the, the public aspect of, mm-hmm. of things, because I think that first step in, in Matthew, um, that ha- probably happens a lot. You know, people privately. Hopefully, hopefully yeah. it's happening all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, so you're referring to that. Let's yeah. lay those steps out for us. You're, you're right. Let's go through the steps. Yeah. Do you know what they are? So the first one in Matthew 18 yep. is that if a brother sins, uh, we are to go to them and in, in humility, just kind of call them out, kind of rebuke them privately. Yeah. Privately. One on one. Yep. Yep. And if they continue to go down that road, then we bring a friend or a witness to mm-hmm. say, says, like, Hey man, we've, we've been noticing this. Let's, let's go ahead and, and say like, we're, it's not just me seeing this. Like I'm not smoking crazy pills here. You're a couple of us are seeing this issue as an issue. And if that person is still unrepentant, um, then it goes before a larger body, right? This doesn't go to the church yet. Well, it says, then take it to the church. And, okay. and I, I think the, the, 
the fairest read, reason of that reading of that is he takes it to the church leadership. Yeah. Cause you don't just want to walk up one day. Hey, Hey church, want to let you know this person's doing like that. that that's, you, you, you want it to kind of, in a sense, go to the leaders who have the authority, right. who are the shepherds and, and have them involved. Right. And then they would be the ones that if the person is unrepentant, then you, you remove them from right. the church body. Yeah. And so then the last thing is excommunication, right? It's the big word we, we throw around and some people can see that as uncompassionate, but that's not what we're looking for. Yeah, right? I mean, you actually did a, me- a message on this mm-hmm. of what that looks like. Cause we still want them to attend. We still want them to, to experience the gospel. But the idea of excommunication is, is that they are no longer under the protection of the body at large. Yeah. So, and, and that's, that's, that's what, that's what it is. And the idea isn't that we want them out there. We want them to, to turn, to turn back to Christ. And generally people, they, they're gone before that even happens. If, if they're going to be unrepentant. Yeah. Right. Like we, we want to call people to repentance and restoration. Our goal is not to, Hey, we're going to excommunicate you. But backing up a little bit, because uh, one of the things we said when we preached on it was we said a, a church that does not deal with the sin is a sin is a church that is sinning itself. Yeah. Right. Because this is a this is a mandate, right, to restore, to correct, to teach, to reprove, to rebuke. These are all commands in the scripture. Many of them pointed toward church leaders <clears throat> saying this is this is part of part of the gig. Right. And, and there are things that being a pastor, I mean, I remember when I was younger, I thought being a pastor was going to be, I got to teach the Bible and hang out with people. Right. <laughs> and I get to do that. Yeah. Right. But, but it's not all, Hey, I'm teaching the Bible and just kicking it with folks and drinking coffee. Like no, th- man. Th- there are hard conversations every week there. I mean, there's heartbreak yeah. all the time. It feels like we're constantly dealing with people's the worst aspect of someone's life. Yeah. But, it, but that's, that's, it's, that's part of it. And that's where grace shows up. Yeah. And that's where God does and amazing God does things. Yeah. When, when we're humble is when he changes, right. And, and yeah. changes us. Right. And mm-hmm. it, so there's, there's a beauty to it as well. Oh, for sure. And so hopefully those, those first step conversations, hopefully those are the bread and butter of Christian life in a church, right? Hopefully people are in, in small groups or in ministry teams where they're, they're being corrected little by little. I mean, I, I remember serving a youth team and whether it was when I was leading it or just helping, I remember man, people would correct me and I would correct them. And we'd have this gentleness and this humility and this trust where if someone came to me and said, Mike, I, I see you doing this. I'd be like, Oh man, I want, I, I want to turn from that. I don't want to keep doing that. And that's how a marriage works. Yeah. My wife comes to me, even my, my oldest son, like he's learning to do this with respect, but if he sees something in me, he will, he will bring a question to me. And, and again, he, he really is figuring out how to do it gently and respectfully. But as he's becoming a man, like him able to come and say to me as a brother in Christ, dad, let me ask you a question. When you do this, I don't understand because this is what the Bible says. He asked me a question almost verbatim like that a few weeks ago. And it, it really was a wonderful conversation. And, um, it allows me to lead in humility and repentance. It makes it so I'm not this you know, authoritarian, unapproachable dude, but instead it, it shows him what it looks like to be corrected mm-hmm. and, and to take correction and give correction. Wasn't planning on sharing that man, but that, you but know, those, those are good moments. I'm excited that you shared that because we have to model repentance for people, mm-hmm. right? We, model, we have to model restoration for people because we're not perfect. Yeah. And so when someone does rebuke us, when someone does correct us, that's an opportunity to demonstrate what God has done in our lives and to show the other people, it's okay to admit that we've done something wrong. So now we get to participate in repentance and turning back to the Lord. I I get really annoyed with, with these holier than thou people who, who, when you finally call them on it or call them on something, their pride gets in the way. And then, and then because the pride gets in the way, they never come back to the church or yeah. something like that. Or it that. becomes a fight and yeah. political and it's super dumb. Like <clears throat> I, I, I failed my, my brother, uh, last week and I've been reading a book that you, you recommended oh. last year. I've been reading the masculine mandate and I've been really focusing on working and keeping like the, 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 what, the definitions of a man through Genesis two. And I had made a commitment to him. And I failed in that commitment and it, and I, I, I went up to him and I said, Hey man, 
I, I told you I was going to do something and I didn't do that. And I want you to know that I failed you on this. And I'm really sorry about that. But I just, I just want you to like, I own that. I own that. And he said, Hey man, that's not that big of a deal. I, I don't know why you're making a big deal. I'm like, I'm not making it a big deal because I'm going to fail forward. I'm not scared of failure, mm-hmm. but I wanted to show for him that like, Hey, when we mess up, instead of denying it or sweeping it under the rug and just hoping someone doesn't notice it, let's just own it. We're both on the same page and let's just move forward. Because I, in my heart now, that's what I feel like that's what a man does. Instead of like putting up a defense and be like, well, look at all the stuff that I'm doing and I'm really tired. Of course I didn't. Whatever. Like, I don't know. Kind of going on a tangent. But I, I was just thinking we need to model repentance because that's what this whole church restoration is about is restoring people back into fellowship right fellowship with the lord yeah and that only happens with repentance your your brother's line you know it doesn't really matter or it's not a big deal that's usually how we respond Mm -hmm. to to sin and to failure and transgression in someone else's life because we want to comfort them yeah like our knee-jerk reaction is oh it's okay Right. That's what we want to do. Right. I was having a conversation with another man yesterday though. And he told me something and he told me that usually when he shares that people's responses, Oh, it's okay. This is this. And, and in our conversation, it came out like I actually wasn't realizing where he was going. And I said it was not okay. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like freedom for him. We, we then talked about what does it look like for him to repent in that moment? And he was moved. And he, he just, kept, everyone always just says it's okay. And I know it's not. And, and so like that does that, that reflex to comfort is a good reflex. Right. It comes do, from a good place. But doing it the wise way to say that was wrong and, and there is rest, restoration ahead mm-hmm. and there is repentance that, that actually is more comforting to someone. And I think the reason why people would belittle I guess a moral mandate is because they want to lessen the blow, but that is negating the fact that restoration and grace exists on the other side of repentance. You don't need to lessen the blow when there is still open arms at the end of it. Once, once true admission comes and imagine if someone, I kind of like what you just outlined, if, if we were to do belittle someone's act, but in their heart and in their mind, they're still convicted about it because we keep belittling it. It, it never gives them the freedom, the ability to be like, I'm over this. I'm done with this. This is the weight of it. I can acknowledge it. And now we can move forward. It kind of keeps them trapped. Here's an unpopular opinion. You know, uh, shame can be good. (laughs) That is a very unpopular opinion. And and here's the deal. I I don't mean shaming people and rubbing people's nose in it. And and like you messed up and I'm going to hold this over you all the time. The concept of shame, not bullying. But when I, when I sin and I experience shame, I have to do something with that. And if I ignore my shame, and I justify my sin, right? Then, then I'm going to be shameful over God's word. Well, God's word says that's the sin and I'm not going to believe that anymore. But if I say this shame has to do something in my soul that leads me to repentance, mm-hmm. it actually ends up leading me to grace. So shame can work in a heart and in a mind and in a soul that draws us to repentance because of the scripture where we're not going to be ashamed that God says it's wrong, right? Yeah. And, and that shame leads to actually what we're talking about today, restoration. Yeah. So when we started this conversation, I was thinking of the larger aspect of the excommunication, bringing it forward to elders or leadership for someone to be dealt with. But I had a thought about the other end of it, that that initial step of when it's just a brother and a brother or a sister and a sister talking to each other, because you're right, that actually should be happening probably on a regular, almost on maybe on a weekly basis somewhere in the church that's, that's happening. And there's a healthy way of going about that. And there's a wrong way of going about that. And for us, we've been couching all this under the idea of restoration. Mm -hmm. And you read in in Galatians that it should be done with a spirit of gentleness. Mm -hmm. What what are your thoughts on this? Because as we were talking about earlier, I thought about how our culture, our, our, our 2019 culture has seeped into the church with the sorry, not sorry attitude. Right. When someone will err, sorry, someone will lean into righteousness and bluntly say what's right and what's wrong and call someone out on their sin, but not offer any like compassion or grace as to walk with someone through that. Is that church discipline? Is that part of, of it's not, I guess. What are you, what are your thoughts on that? that. So here's what I see. I see if someone is struggling, if they're, they're humble, 
if they're willing to engage in conversation and, and really, even if they don't understand that they're, they're open-minded, um, those are the places where you, you really, you, you lean into that gentleness as, as much as possible and you walk with them, even if it takes time. If they're, if, if they're showing signs of even just engaging, it might take a year. Like, I'm, like seriously, take the time, be gentle. That's one thing, right? Yeah. And you mm-hmm. don't want to blast that person and you don't want to put that, you know, person and their name on a bill, those kind of things. You don't want to go after them at like full force. Right. But, but if someone is obstinate, if someone is unrepentant, if someone is prideful about their sin or even, oh, yeah. even I think this needs to apply to those teaching falsely. Like if someone is unwilling to be corrected in their false teaching and their unwillingness to o- obey the scripture, if they're teaching things outside of the scripture while calling themselves a brother or sister and calling on the name of the Lord and they are not willing to engage and they're not willing to have an open mind. I think that's when some of the boldness, some of the, the, the scripture says to rebuke them publicly. Yeah. That that's, and so I think that you don't just say, Hey, I have one mode of operation for every person. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm a bold person. And so I'm just going to be bold over everyone yeah. that no, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I am going. And also the flip side, I'm a gentle person. So I'm not going to call out anyone. No. Right. Right. I think that it's, it's case by case understanding that the big picture of what it looks like to be a hopefully an elder, like, or a leader of the church, hopefully someone who studies the word of God well, like, and saying case by case, depending on that person's kind of response and their posture, that's going to determine how I interact with them. So if I'm hearing you correctly, what we've identified is that there are extremes to both ends Mm -hmm. being gentle, but being too gentle and not calling and not rebuking someone that's, that's wrong, Mm -hmm. but also being incredibly aggressive and and almost bullying someone just for the sake of quote unquote righteousness. Mm -hmm. That's also wrong. And that's not what we're aiming for. That, that doesn't aim towards restoration. So, and that's, that's what we started this conversation with is the idea that we want to be a church, a healthy church is one that, that practices restoration. Yeah. You know, a few years ago, I was having conversations with some folks about the the word nice and uh, I've grown to kind of despise the word nice. Okay. Cause I think a lot of Christians, we just want to be nice mm-hmm. and that's not a picture in the scripture of, of what it looks like to be a godly man or a woman to be nice because niceness means I'm going to ignore the things in your life that are wrong to keep the peace. I'm going to skirt over sin um, so that, you know, you and I have relational harmony, but we actually don't have real relationship because we're just faking and we're playing this game. Like, Oh, you're fine. And I'm fine. Well, really we're not right. And so that, that idea of nice, I think that we need to do away with, right. The scripture calls us to kindness. Yeah. Calls us to gentleness. It, it, it also says to be bold. Yeah. It, it talks about this idea of, I mean, Paul writes to men, he says, act, you know, be men, right. Be strong, be loving. Um, and so I think all of those things, they, they layer into this conversation about how we go about restoration. If our goal is to be nice, then we're, we're, our goal is not restoration. Yeah. If our goal is to discipline, our goal is not restoration. If our goal is what's spiritually best for our brother or sister, no matter how hard it is, then our goal is restoration. Amen. Yeah. So I wanted to back up a second because you and I've had this conversation of, uh, the definition of kindness because I, I liked what you shared and, uh, that's really challenged me. And right now we sit in a culture that loves to throw around the word kindness. I see it on memes. I see it on these inspirational pseudo pop uh, psychology posts all the time on social media. And what they've done is they've taken the word kindness and made it synonymous with niceness. Yes. Right. So would you mind sharing the definition of kindness? Yeah. So when, when I teach on this, um, I, I go to Ephesians four thirty two. it says, be kind to one another, mm-hmm. tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ has forgiven you. And this is my, this is my default verse for every relationship, whether I'm counseling couples, parents and their kids, right. People in ministry or whatever it is. Right. Cause it starts with being kind and that's action oriented, okay. right? Kindness is not like, hi, mm-hmm. how you doing? Kindness is service. Right. So when I'm kind to my wife, it's when I'm serving her. When I'm kind to her, it's when I'm coming home and finding that she's had a tough day and I'm just taking care of the dishes or, you know, saying, Hey, you, you go, go get a cup of coffee somewhere. I'm going to hang out with the kids. Like that's me 
putting aside what I want, whatever's selfish in my mind or in my, my agenda, and I'm being kind to her, I'm mm-hmm. serving her, right? And then that pairs with being tenderhearted, which is compassion. It's, it's more than thinking about the other person. It's, it's putting your, yourself emotively in their position. Like what are they, how are they experiencing this emotionally? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's empathy in a sense, right? Yeah. And then that leads to forgiveness, forgiving each other as God and Christ has forgiven you. Yeah. And so how much have I been forgiven by Christ? Well, way more than anyone could ever offend me. And so that means the, the, the bar is set really high for how much I forgive someone else. Yeah. And so kindness is connected with this, this broader like Christian ethic that says, how do I live in a relationship with people? And, and it, so it aims at service. Kindness is not posting memes about how everyone should be loving, right? Kindness is, right. is it's the, the brass tacks of my, my, I'm sweating, I'm dirty, um, I'm laying my life down, I'm putting in the long hours, I am thinking of others as higher than myself. That's really the picture we're talking about. And that's, that's an important distinction because right now as a culture, we interpret kindness as, Hey, I'm trying really hard and I'm dealing with a lot of things. I'm just trying to solve it my own way. It would be nice if you either supported me or just didn't say anything and just, you know, just be kind. And that's, not biblical Mm-mm. at all. And it doesn't even lead to life. Nope. Honestly, because if you're going down the wrong road and you're, and I, this goes back to compassion. I'm always, when I see someone trying, when I see someone who is, you know, reading self-help books or I'm, I'm seeing someone who is, uh, a, you know, seeing even therapy and all these, it's, I see someone who recognizes there's something broken in them and it's, they're searching. So I'm not going to come across and just start slapping them around and be like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But I do believe that if I see that they're going down a road that honestly doesn't lead to life, I think the kindest thing I could do is compassionately show them Christ. The word of God. Like yeah. this, this is what you need for your soul. Yeah. Right? And I'm yeah. not make, like be, un, be understand. I'm not saying like people don't need therapy or people don't need counseling or, or anything like that. But what I am saying is that it's easy to get lost in pop cultural pseudo psychology and think that that's edifying and think that that's life affirming when really it's just reinforcing a trap and a cycle within mm. your own life. Yeah. And Christ came to set us free of the cycles. So man, we covered a lot. We, we have talked quite a bit. I know we're at, we're at a solid 47 minutes right now. This is such an important topic. It though, is because I mean, I, I'm sitting here thinking, this is what my soul needs. I need people that love me enough to correct me toward restoration. And, and that's hard and it's scary. And sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes relationships fragment, right? Yeah. But, but if you love me, you will. And if I love you, I will. And, and again, the goal, the goal is not to be morally superior. The goal is not to be an authoritative force or voice. The goal is to restore someone to the Lord, to restore them to relationship in the church, to restore them to their purpose as a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. That right. That's the goal. It is. And kind of going back to a statement made earlier, by practicing church restoration, it is telling of someone or an entity's character. Because if you're passive, you're, you're not being kind. You're honestly, you're actually, you're, you're reinforcing rebellion. If you are far too aggressive without compassion, your character is that of a bully. And honestly, pharisaical is what, is what you are. And if you're part of a church that wants to bully people around, that's not, that's not gospel oriented. That's not leading with compassion. And if you're a church that, that isn't practicing that kind of stuff, then are, is the leadership really taking ownership for the care of your soul? Are you really going to find the healing power of Christ in a congregation that doesn't want to deal with the hard things in a loving way? Yeah. It's a good conversation, man. Yeah. I think last thought is as we go about this, we remember the, the end of Galatians chapter six, verse one, where it says each one of you looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And this is that that's what combats being a Pharisee is when you remember that you and I, we can fall. Temptation is, is waiting for us. And say we're correcting someone because of their, their lying or whatever, right? Usually the temptation for us isn't to go start lying. Usually the temptation for us in that moment is the sin of pride. 
the sin of arrogance, the sin of becoming that Pharisee. I'm, I'm more holy than thou instead of I'm a brother and you're a brother. Let's move forward together looking at Jesus. Yeah. Mike, uh, lately we've been ending podcasts with prayers and I, I actually, I've been loving that a lot. Would you pray for our listeners? I'm thinking about maybe people who know they are, um, they've been challenged by a brother and maybe praying for their, a, a humble heart, or maybe if someone's listening and they're like, man, I need to, I need to, I don't want to use the word confront, but I want to, maybe I need to engage in restoration with another brother or sister that I, I, I see in my own life. Would you pray for those yeah. people? Yeah. Heavenly father, I pray for those listening. Lord, I pray for, I pray, pray for the church, all of those who can't call in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would give us humble and gentle attitudes where we love each other so much that we're willing to uh, we're willing to go to each other and, and share concerns about sin where we're willing to receive someone who's, who's speaking into our life saying that, that something's not matching the scripture. And God, I pray that each of us would, would, we would desire to repent quickly. We would desire to turn away from our sin and we would desire to turn toward Christ and become more and more like him. Father, I pray for Valley specifically, Lord, and the ups and downs that come with, with this local church. God, I pray that you would allow us to become the church that, that does this well, not out of pride or arrogance, not, not avoiding or ignoring issues that need to be dealt with, but gently, lovingly, consistently, faithfully pointing each other, loving each other toward Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.